the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. Today we are joined by my friend, Jessica McKee. She lives here in the San Diego area. She's an experienced RN, one of the leaders of the Reopen San Diego Healthcare Workers Group. She's also the founder of a nurses group on Facebook with over 1,300 members. She's worked in hospitals since she was a teenager and is very familiar with the healthcare system. She's worked in many different capacities. She's married with two young children. Like so many nurses and other professionals, she's struggling to survive in this economy. She was pressured into taking the COVID vaccine. She was injured by it, and this has had multiple repercussions. She has a remarkable story to tell about what happened to her and what's going on in the hospitals now. Everybody should be aware of this. She was, her husband was recently injured in a bike accident as well. She sent up close what is going on in the hospital. So thank you for joining us today, dear Jessica. Well, thank you so much for having me. I feel privileged to be able to speak to you both. This is wonderful. Um, tell us, you know, we as nurses have a heart for helping the, the ill, the sick and the, and the struggling. And so, you know, tell us how you ended up working at Sharp Healthcare in Grossmont Hospital. Uh, just briefly, just a little bit about your, your early life and how you became a nurse. Um, yeah, so I worked at Sharp and I actually finished out at Sharp Coronado Hospital, but um, I became a nurse. Um, back in 2007, um, it just always felt like a natural thing for me. I was always a nurturer. Um, I grew up with deaf grandparents, so I've always been advocating for the underdog and for the people that are marginalized my entire life. So nursing was just always a very natural um, progression for me. At the hospital that I worked at, I was born at, um, I ended up working there um in high school and delivering meal trays, worked my way up. I was a unit clerk. I ended up doing my nursing clinicals there. Then I got my dream job when I finished clinicals in nursing, and I worked in the ICU. I worked at that hospital for 11 years back on the East Coast. Uh, So you were um, really surrounded by people that you felt like were your almost family. I mean, you worked there for so long and as a young person. so Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, though, so two and a half years ago, we were all hit. The whole world, of course, was hit by COVID-19. So tell us a little bit about Jessica. You were working as a nurse, I believe, or what? Where, kind of where were you when COVID-19 hit? And then tell us what made you start doubting the main narrative that was being pushed out. Well, 
um, I just felt when it really came about at the beginning of 2020, um, it, it never sat right with me. It always seemed like something was off from the beginning, but I was very busy. I was pregnant. I was busy with my family life and working and just carrying on. Um, and then I ended up going out on maternity leave in March 2020. So I was out on maternity leave for the preceding five months. Um, and I probably would have stayed out longer if I had qualified for maternity leave longer. But I ended up returning because I wanted to go back and I wanted to help this pandemic. And I just had the need to go back to the hospital, even though my husband said, just stay home and take care of the kids. I just felt the need um, to, to help. Um, so I went back in the fall of 2021 and I was totally, you know, into the whole COVID thing, wearing all the gear and, you know, but I did know something was not right because the whole mask situation seemed farcical because they were having us reusing PPE, not specifically at my hospital, but I knew what they were doing at other facilities. And, you know, everyone's wearing an N95 mask, but I had known every single year for the last 20 years, you, we always had to be professionally fitted with an N95 mask. And now they're just telling, they're blanketing, saying everyone to wear an N95 mask. And it just didn't make any sense um, just to say to everyone to wear the same universal type of mask um, and knowing that it didn't really work. <laughs> so I, I knew yeah. from there, something was very wrong. And a lot of other people that I worked with too, but everyone was just kind of, you know, doing their job and, you know, not looking at it from, a, I think, a bigger global picture. So then you were pressured, I understand, Jessica. Kathleen's admittedly talked to you more, a lot more than I have prior to this uh, interview today, but you were pressured into taking the COVID-19 shot and you did go ahead with it, right? So what, what happened with that? Yeah, so um, my unit had shut down, the unit that I, particular unit I worked on, and shut down three times during the um, before the vaccines had even come out. So, you know, everyone felt that it was very real what was going on. And we were, you know, we were affected in many different ways. So, um, and people that I worked with, doctors and nurses that I worked with for years, I trusted. We all trusted each other and we trusted that we were doing the right thing, even though intuitively it did not feel right for me. And most of the nurses I worked with, sadly, most of them said, I don't even like getting a flu shot. I don't even get a flu shot. But everyone felt very pressured and they had a COVID, you know, vaccine, like, team squads coming around to units and just, you know, inoculating staff. And so many of the nurses I worked with, it's just so heartbreaking. They said, like, I felt like I wasn't given a choice. I felt like I was pressured, you know. And then they had the administration coming around with the team to, like, really push it on all the staff. So people just felt, like, really kind of, you know, caught off guard and didn't know what to do. And it just, it, it was very rushed and, and it felt very forced for so many people. And they really used kind of a herd mentality, like everybody's doing it. Okay, let's just get in line. Let's yeah. okay. Here's the team that is going to shoot everybody with the shot, and uh, right. just, you just had no real chance to stop or get informed, yeah. informed consent. And that's that's the bedrock of our profession right. is informing people. So this, you felt like it wasn't right, but you you just didn't. You just felt pushed into it. So and then and then what happened? Um, and then about three months later, I developed, um, or not, probably two to three months later, I developed very heavy menstrual periods, which I had never had before, where it was very scary. And I was thinking to myself, and then I realized there was other nurses I worked with that were having um, postmenopausal bleeding as well after they had it. So it wasn't just myself. There was other nurses that were speaking out 
And, you know, they started talking about their symptoms and it wasn't just including that. It was, you know, neurological issues that they were having, vertigo. Nurses were passing out at work and being taken to the emergency room. Um, There was a couple of nurses I worked with that had severe, severe joint pain. Um, They still had a lot of them. I know two of them still have like really terrible debilitating migraines that they never had before this. Um, so there's just been so many other things. One nurse got cancer like about a month after um, and she was out. So, I mean, just all these things. And there was one commonality and that was everyone got the shot at the same time. And and then what happened? You reported this to your head nurse, right? And what did she say? Yeah. That Well, I reported this- it later on. I mean, because I wasn't really sure exactly what was going on. And then I developed six months after the shot, I developed chest pains, which I still have to this day. Um, and I've seen three different cardiologists for that, um, which none of them have really been able to give me an answer. So it's just me being left on my own trying to search for answers and leaning on the other people that are also suffering the symptoms that I have to try to figure out how to help ourselves because no one, the medical community is totally denied that we even exist. Yeah. And that's, it's, did they ever say it was myocarditis? I mean, that's a known side effect of the of the shot. That's right. a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. One of the doctors said that one of the the first cardiologists I saw, who actually I worked with, and he was seeing other nurses. His first comment to me when he saw me in his office, and when I went there, was he said to me, "Wow, why are all the nurses on your unit coming to see me?" And I said, "I don't know. Why don't you tell me?" <laughs> And he was in complete denial about what was going on. Um, And, you know, he was too busy kind of telling me his credentials and telling me he had toxicology credentials, but not even willing to accept what I was saying, even though it's presenting him with articles from the American Heart Association about the spike protein and all these other um, issues that people were running into that were taking this. Um, He just wasn't willing to do that. He was, I was trying to alleviate my fears by giving me tests and whatnot, which mostly have all come back negative. Um, So, I mean, but he didn't want to even admit that. But, I mean, most of these doctors don't want to admit what they're seeing because they've all taken the shot, too. So if they admit that they did something wrong, they would have to examine their entire life. And um, to admit that you're wrong about something so catastrophic where it's involving your health and your long-term health, People don't want to even allow that to come into their light because then you have to be in the position that I'm in where you're like, okay, this is not a good scenario. (laughs) You have to do something about it. Just rule it out without even looking at it because the implications of it would be so huge. And, and, yeah, that's wrong. It sounds like, and not surprisingly, Jessica, one thing happened and then another thing happened and you heard from other people and over a period of some months – it sounds like you became more and more aware that this is bigger than what what people ever imagined. And I have a question. Yeah. At what point, or did you find out, the, and at what point did you find out that hospitals, perhaps the hospital you were working at, were getting big financial payments for certain things? For example, if a patient was admitted and they tested positive for COVID with a PCR test, um, they got. I believe they got more money for that because, and then no matter what the patient came in for, they were suddenly a COVID patient. And then other things, if they were put on the remdesivir protocol, that was more money. If they were put 
heaven forbid, on ventilators, which so many people never came out of. They got a lot of money for that. So did you become aware of that? And did that? Did you ever start saying, I wonder if the financial incentives are influencing some of what's going on around here? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really realize it initially. I mean, I know everything is profit-driven in the hospitals even before COVID, um, so that's why things are just, you know, or, you know, denied by insurance. So I, I was aware, but I did not know the gravity of the situation until probably the end of 2021 in regards to, like, how much they were being financially incentivized by doing these treatments that were essentially harming and killing people. Um, and that was pretty scary. And then presenting the information that, you know, the NIH tables to some of the doctors that, you know, even the NIH was saying you could use ivermectin, but they weren't even allowed to use that. They weren't, they were saying, oh, no, we just do remdesivir. And I would say, but why? I'm like, it's on the NIH government website that's saying that you can use the ivermectin. And they refused. They would just use the remdesivir. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, why wouldn't you try all avenues? Why would you just stick with one and use that sort of blanket that over everyone? That doesn't make any sense. Well, and, and you told your nurse, your head nurse, about your vaccine injury. I just want to get back to that a little bit. And she denied that anyone else on the unit was complaining of the same symptoms. And right. she just, com- you know, completely, I mean, said that nobody well, had said. Is- and then, But you knew that other nurses had told them. Told her. Right. No. Yeah. I when I that was actually the last day that I ended up officially working was I told her that, you know, no, I had this injury and I knew for a fact that another nurse who was actually was in worse condition than I was cardiac wise, she had spoken to her and told her. And then the, my boss had said, Oh no, you're the first person I heard of but I knew that wasn't true because I knew this other nurse had been seeking treatment. She had been out on leave. She had been speaking to her about it. So I knew that wasn't true. And then, you know, but she also realized, she just had told me, too, at that time, my former boss, she said, oh, I just got the booster. So it's like she's totally, you know, for this. So she, I don't think she wants to admit that there's a problem, which I understand. It's, I feel like it's human nature where people just don't want to admit that they've done something to hurt themselves. Or other people. So how did this or affect Yeah. How did this affect your relationship with the hospital where you were working? I mean, it must have you know, crossed your mind that what is going on here? And then, and then you did end up leaving. Well, you just mentioned that was, I think you just mentioned Jessica, that was your last day. So what, what was going on there? Yeah. I mean, they were just telling me, you know, she had told me, I said, you know, um, I was having health issues and she had told me, she said, well, if you need to take some time off, you know, you can take some time off because I had my children. I was busy. Um, I was not feeling well. Um, and so she said, you know, take some time off. So she was really actually good about that and giving me the time off. But then they said, you know, now you have to come back. And I said, well, I wasn't exactly ready just yet. And, you know, I thought that I would qualify, but because of the laws, the labor laws and my hours, I didn't have enough qualifying hours through the state to continue to stay out. So they told me you either have to come back to work now or, you know, essentially you'll be terminated And so I thought to myself, I didn't want to continue to work at a place that didn't support me, didn't even acknowledge what had happened to me. Um, And it was happening to nurses and the patients that were coming in injured. And everyone was in this denial. And like, honestly, to go there, and it was sad because it was a job that I loved. And I loved working with the nurses. The nurses I worked with were great. And I loved most of the doctors I worked with, too. And it was just sad that I I couldn't participate in an environment where it was like complete 
gaslighting and lying to the people and not even admitting what was going on. And it was like soul crushing to go into this and to have the nurses being sick and denying what was happening, to have the patients being sick from this and denying what was happening. I couldn't in good conscience continue to go back there. I was like, I'm not even supported here. And this is like a hospital where you're supposed to be helping people and we're doing the complete opposite of this. I was like, this is not what I signed up for 20 years ago. I'm like, I was in this to help people and we've diverted so far from it. It was hard to even, I, I just couldn't any longer be a part of it. So I, I removed myself from the situation. And your and story I, is similar to what we heard from Josh Yoder, who founded the U.S. Freedom Flyers, what, what happened with the airlines. Same thing. Yes. They just got all these massive amounts of money, the, the administration that is, the, the, uh, you know, the top tier people that are running things. They got so many financial incentives to get everybody vaxxed and then but but then all the repercussions happen and he just he had to get the pilots on board too to to get some recompense and they filed lawsuits and and i do want to mention um that there the national center for the law for law and policy with dean Broyles, he has his attorneys that he has trained and he himself is ready to take on these cases of nurses that have been treated badly like this, whose religious exemptions have been denied, which is against the law. And they are waiting to, to file lawsuits. They've already gotten settlements from some for, for some nurses for back pay, for uh, medical bills, for emotional damages even, and attorney's fees. So this is great. They've already succeeded in getting some uh, recompense, some some of these awards and they also have filed another lawsuit and they, you know, the more lawsuits that we can file and make the other people pay for doing, for treating nurses so badly and breaking the law, the least likely they're going to keep on doing this. We need to stop it. So I wanted to mention that you can get a hold of, the National Center for Law and Policy through the website. Just go to the website. And they, and he, as you mentioned, Kathleen, he has a number of attorneys. He's trained not only in California, of course he's in California, but also in other states as well. So if you know people particularly that have been denied religious exemptions and are in the healthcare profession. So I want to yes. talk about what happened to your husband as well. I mean, here you are. You're 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 laid off from your job. You know you don't even want to be there anymore because of all the denial and the and the way that. Oh, by the way, you yeah that what's uh yeah the mandates that that caused Sharp we know to lose forty percent of their staff, and so what happened? You know they're using a lot of temporary. You're struggling along, not being able to work yourself, and then your husband gets in an accident. So tell us about that. Just I I couldn't believe it when it happened. It's not even been that long ago. Right. So yeah. So um, my husband was injured in a bike accident at the end of June of this summer, and he was hospitalized not at not at Sharp, but at another hospital in San Diego for three weeks. And in those three weeks, I got to see up close what was going on. And he was on three different units. So he was, you know, he was shuffled around the hospital. Um, he had multiple surgeries. Um, you know, he was 
you know, not in great shape, but now thankfully he's, he is recovering. It's just a very long process. But when we were at the hospital, I noticed, and I had worked at this other hospital too before years ago. Um, so I know how it operates. Um, so he was there and for three weeks, he never had the same nurse more than one time, which is pretty much unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, there is no continuity of nursing care whatsoever. He had a travel nurse every single shift, except maybe one or two where he had maybe a staff nurse in three weeks. I was a travel nurse. I love travel nurses. However, travel nurses don't run the system. They don't know the system. They don't know the ins and outs. They don't know the physicians. They don't know the intricacies of what really runs the hospital and makes it run well. And, you know, that was so lacking. And because of that, we had horrible communication or we have little to no communication i would ask them to call the surgeon i had never actually saw the surgeon any of the times i was there and i was there every single day except two days for the whole time my husband was in the hospital and i couldn't wow. believe it i said i just want to speak to the doctor they rounded at 5 a.m visiting hours didn't start till 8 a.m so you could never see a physician and then my husband, you know, was in the condition he was in and the acuity of his illness. I mean, he couldn't remember all this stuff. And I was like, you know, there's family questions. And I had asked him to call the doctors and then they never would. And then I actually ended up, ended up sending a message to the patient relations. And then that's the only way I got anything going. I said, is for me to voice my concerns and lay it out there. It was just, it was so disheartening to see. And the, and the staff, the nurses were nice, but they were just spread so thin they weren't able to turn him. I was providing a lot of his basic nursing care, which he wanted me to do, and I was happy to do it. However, it was just unbelievable that, you know, the basic nursing care is just not there. And they I, don't have the staff. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been a traveling nurse as well. And I used to wake up and have nightmares about not being able to find what I'm supposed to have. Like, where do you even find the towels to give a bed bather? You know, it, it's very... Uh, stressful to be the substitute nurse on the regular floor where you don't know where everything is. You don't, like you say, you don't know the the doctors, the anything, the routines. So yeah, this is this is really uh, something to be very aware aware of. And you know, and you know, Jessica and Kathleen, this is uh, this is going along with your story, but it's going to the broader thing. I think all of us are looking with almost disbelief at what the CDC came out with just in the last week. They've gone back on almost everything that we have been forced to live under for the past two and a half years. Um, The six-foot rule, they've said, you know, there was never really a good reason to do that. They, there's never, there's not a good reason to treat the vaccinated and the unvaccinated differently. And yet people have been fired. People have been mistreated like you. People have been injured and on and on and on. Any thoughts about this? The fact that, can you believe what's being said right now? I mean, it's two and a half years too late, in my opinion. It's, okay. it's something that should have never, it should have never started to begin with. And I feel like a lot of the nurses and staff, if we had come together from the get-go and, you know, everyone had said, you know, this, none of this makes sense. What are we doing? What is? Why is this any different than influenza or how we treat any of the other contact precautions? I mean, why do we have to do all of this? And, you know, sadly, I think, you know, we were just so many people were led by fear and, 
you know, making bad decisions. But I mean, unfortunately, that is life where people make bad decisions. It's just it costs us so much. And and we understand from our so legal people, <clears throat> our legal team, that this is all the more reason that people should sue is because they've gone back on everything they say now. Yeah, I want to give you a chance, uh, believe it or not, Jessica, we're just about ready to wrap up. You've had such a powerful story, and we're so happy we can share this. But I want to give you a couple moments to share, kind of share some summary comments, some final comments. Um, I guess just, I mean, sometimes, you know, things are difficult, and you have to stand alone. And sometimes it feels like it's the only option that you have, but through this experience, I've been able to find my tribe of people, and that's been truly cathartic for me. You find, I've found myself, what really matters is my family and my children, and, you know, you strip away the veneer and you see things for what they are, um, no matter how painful the process may be. Um, I've just been, you know, you need to stand tall, stand in the truth, and rise above it, and you'll find other people who love you for exactly who you are. Um, you know, I mean... We've made new friends through this, haven't we? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, You know, I've just met the most amazing people through this process. I mean, I wish I could take back what I did with getting the shots, um, but that is, I mean, I can't turn back time. So I'm just moving forward and trying to help other people that are struggling and looking for help help and finding uh, recovery through this injury and helping all the other staff that were, you know, you know, forced into doing stuff they didn't want to do. There's so many nurses out there, and it's not just nurses; it's the it's everyone. I want to um, give one more uh, reference at the end to what nurses can do. But thank you so much, Jessica, for being with us. We'd love to have you again in the future. You're a wonderful guest, and you have so much and a to dear say. Friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. To bless yeah. your neighbor, tell any nurses or other healthcare professionals that have been fired or laid off because of denial of religious exemptions contact attorney dean broyles at the national center for law and policy you can get a free consultation and if you mutually decide to pursue a case there's also no fee to proceed thank you very much pray for jessica and her family too till next week join us next saturday at noon for biblical citizen let's roll your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.